May I have the envelope, please? May I have the envelope, please? The best picture of the year is... The best picture of the year. The best picture of the year. I am happy to announce that the winner is... The winner is... And the winner... The winner is... The winner is... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Envelope Podcast. Here on The Envelope, we will be discussing and reviewing every Best Picture winner in the Academy Awards history. Today, we are discussing the sixth Best Picture winner, Cavalcade. My name is Nicole Moomy, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Sky Wathen. Hi. And Sean Wathen. Hello. Before we get to our film this week, let's chat briefly about the history of the sixth Academy Awards. The Sixth Academy Awards were held on March 16, 1934 at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, California. This was the last time that the Academy Awards eligibility period was spread over two different calendar years, creating the longest time frame for which films could be nominated, the year and a half from August 1, 1932 to December 31, 1933. The ceremony was hosted by Will Rogers, with Rogers also presenting all of the awards. When Will Rogers presented the Academy Award for Best Director, he opened the envelope and simply announced, Come and get it, Frank. (laughs) So Frank Capra, certain he had been the winner for Lady for a Day, ran to the podium to collect the Oscar, only to discover Rogers had meant Frank Lloyd, who won for Cavalcade instead. So possibly to downplay this mistake, Rogers then called third nominee George Cacour to join the two Franks on stage. Oops. Cavalcade became the fourth film to win Best Picture without a writing nomination, and the last until Hamlet at the 21st Academy Awards. This year introduced the Best Assistant Director Award. Seven of the 18 nominees were given awards. In this first year of the award, it was given for no specific film, just each nominee's body of work. The 12 Academy Award categories this year were Outstanding Production, aka Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Original Story, Best Adaptation, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Recording, Best Assistant Director, Best Short Subject Cartoon, Best Live Action Short Subject Comedy, Best Live Action Short Subject Novelty. The Academy Award statuette depicts a knight holding a crusader's sword standing on a reel of film with five spokes. The five spokes represent the original branches of the Academy. Actors, writers, directors, technicians, and producers. And that's how we will break down our reviews of the Best Picture winners. Today we are discussing the Best Picture winner, Cavalcade. The film won over 42nd Street, A Farewell to Arms, I Am a Fugitive from a Chain Gang, Lady for a Day, Little Women, The Private Life of Henry VIII, She Done Him Wrong, Smiling Through, and State Fair. Cavalcade follows upper-crust Londoners Robert and Jane Marriott and their working-class counterparts Alfred and Ellen Bridges as they experience life's many triumphs and tragedies from the Boer War at the dawn of the 20th century up to, 19, up to the 1930s. Queen Victoria's death and the sinking of the Titanic etch deep scars on both families, but the outbreak of World War I and its dramatic aftermath proves to be the greatest test of their courage and friendship. Directed by Frank Lloyd, the film stars Diana Winyard as Jane Marriott, Clive Brooke as Robert Marriott, Una O'Connor as Ellen Bridges, and Herbert Munden as Alfred Bridges. So with this, um, before we dive into our first spoke, which is acting, um, the film is basically broken, broken up into several sections, and there's a lot of time jumps. So real quick, um, I just want to recap what happens in the first section, and then we'll talk about it, the movie as a whole, but... I kind of want to go about section by section also, just because the story is so complex. 
Um, so in the beginning, you've got these two different families, the lower class and the upper class. And the lower class um, is essentially like the, the servants of the upper class. Um, and the two men of the house, the one from the lower class, one from the upper class, they all go to serve in this second Boer War in Africa. And when they return, lower class Alfred Bridges has says that he bought a bar with the help of the upper crust Robert Marriott. So he's so then the lower class family ends up moving out of the house to go run this bar, um, which starts to be successful. But Alfred ends up becoming an alcoholic and ends up getting run over by a bunch of horses. <laughs> so that's the first section. Um, so in describing that, uh, what did you guys think of the acting in the movie as a whole and specifically like within this first section? I, I thought it was good. I mean, I, interestingly, this is another movie where I feel like the females are the leads and they carry the, the bulk of the movie because it's the struggle of these two families and it, it's the women who we are with the most because when the men go off to war, particularly in this first section where they go to the Boer War, we actually don't go with them that much, if at all. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. with the women and the children um, and, and back home and there's a lot of there's a lot of conversation about like wh- where are they and what what is the the impetus for this war and all those kinds of things. It's actually very interesting because these these women are really binding together the family and also going through the same struggle and it's it you know you see the the upper class and the servant class basically having the same bonding over being going through the shared experience because both women are concerned that their husbands might die and both women are are sharing the same emotions and i think you really see that in the especially in taking this in sections in this first half where both women are are supporting each other because they're they're going through the same experience despite the difference in their classes yeah, like the war really leveled the classes right away mm-hmm. with them going off with both of them on the same ship going to fight the same war, the husbands, and then back at the same house despite classes, which I think comes later. Right. You know, you don't feel that even though there is definitely a distinction, they're coming together in community at the same level, emotional level right? Um, of what's going on. Yeah, and I thought that was good between the two women. Right, and I think there's something, you know, the men are are putting on the, the the positive, you know, go get them attitude faces and they're trying to bolster both women of like, it's going to be okay, we're going off to do our duty and fight for king and country or queen and country, you know. And and that it, that it's an interesting, like, it's well done on both sides of the social delineation that to, to show that even though they're of different classes, they all are going through the same experience. And I think the, the actors really portray that very well. I think that some of the casting felt a little bit off to me, though. Like, Mrs. Bridges seemed... The the Bridges as a couple, there was an age difference, at least look-wise, mm-hmm. to me. And her character was a little... I mean, it's, it's probably just the actress herself, but she came off kind of shrill. Mm-hmm. So, in just her speech. So that kind of took me out a little bit like just from a casting perspective i i thought she was she, her, looked, she the actress is 18 years older than the actor who played her husband and you can see it yeah, yeah. and you can definitely see it so i was I like oh she, and they have a baby so yeah. like that seemed weird that these were the this was the players for that it's probably because they knew they were going to use her through the whole movie, maybe spanning 30 years. Mm-hmm. They just didn't make her look young enough in the beginning, because mm-hmm. maybe like by the middle age, she like starts to look her exact age. But she apparently is reprising her role that she had on the play. 
because it's based on a play that I guess she was one of the few actresses that or actors that they brought over from the play hmm. to be in the movie. Because in the beginning, I actually didn't like the rich parents because it felt like they were almost like characters of what rich people should be. The way that they talked, and it felt like I was like, oh god, here we go. Like this is just going to be through the whole movie. They felt almost like stereotypical, but it it got better as it went along. And I think it was just in the beginning to maybe they were trying to just show the differences between the two different families. Well, and then there's a very clear distinction when they come back from the four war where he now has seeded Alfred the money to go buy a bar. bar, And, and that's elevating his own class because now he's becoming, he's still working class, but he's becoming his own, the, you know, the keeper of his own keys. He gets to go and, and have his own responsibility. He's no longer going to be a servant. He'll be a business owner. Yeah, I kind of wish we would have seen them bond and mm-hmm. seen those scenes at war where they decide to do this together because they just kind of come back and it's like, oh, well, I think we decided a, to do this. I think there's a presumption of bond between... Before they even go. Yeah, between the two families because it's clear that Ellen and Alfred have been with this family for a very long time. And while they themselves have a baby daughter... They're, you know, they they clearly have been part of this family, oh, yeah. and Ellen even has reservations about going to go and do this venture of owning a bar because she likes being a servant and she feels comfortable in the world that she knows, and she feels, you know, she she expresses like, why are we going to leave this life that we have to go do this thing that may not work out, you know? What did you think when the one the lower class guy is Herbert? Is that his name? That's the actor. Yeah, yeah. When his character owns this bar and stuff, it feels like he becomes a jerk and an alcoholic real fast. Was he supposed to be dealing with PTSD or something? I think it's probably that and the idea that he doesn't know how to run a business and so he's he's floundering because she's really the one running the business to keep it afloat. He's just become... I think there's also something to the idea that he's... He's a like the keeper of his own keys again now, but he doesn't necessarily know how to be, and so he just yeah, is, I, is a yeah. social guy who like views this as him just getting to go to the pub with his buddies. I mean, it's and it's basically I think like somebody gave him, you know, Mr. Marriott gave him the means to to start a business, but he didn't have the know how to manage the business, mm-hmm. so right. he just wants the status, but he's probably drinking over knowing he's hiding behind. I don't really know what I'm doing and the bottom is falling out and my yeah. wife is really in like likes the cloud and now our daughter and the schools they were trying to groom her to be you know very elevated and you know well rounded young lady in the terms of what that meant and where the setting was but he didn't know how to do those things somebody just yeah. gave him the golden ticket without the rule book essentially attached yeah. and so he, he became an alcoholic you know I felt like out of the fear and I'm they didn't really flesh that out. You just you yeah. have to sort of piece yeah. that together very quickly. I agree. It happened so fast, and I was like, okay, well, I guess that would be kind of how you're running your own business. And then he's an alcoholic, and he's running a bar. Yeah. And so... So he runs out, gets in a fight, and literally gets run over by a fire wagon. And it yeah. happened so <laughs> quick, we had to rewind. And I was like, I think he just died. Why, dare his... I say, a cavalcade? Yeah. <laughs> As his daughter's dancing in the streets. Yeah, like, it was just because there's like a street party going oh, yeah. on. It was pretty yeah. violent. Yeah, yes. I'm like, are they rioting at something? But I don't. It was just coming home from war. Were they all celeb? I don't know. There was a lot of like. Well, no, because it's way post war. So there's the the rich wife and her, I think her eldest son go to visit, 
and like see the family, the bridges, because the the rich family clearly has a love for this family, yeah. and a, a, and probably feels some semblance of responsibility for this family. And so she goes for like tea or whatever, and the wife basically kicks the husband out because he's embarrassing now, yeah. because she's embarrassed by what this status has done to him, and that she doesn't think he's you know fit to be in polite company essentially. So he comes back drunk and starts a whole fight in front of the in front of Jane, the the wealthy woman, and that's when he runs out just sort of on a like on a fu to and and go find goes and finds his buddies and because he there's some I can't remember the exact fight but there's something about he's going to prove he's responsible and then he runs into some buddies who are like come on just one more drink he needs he, to like pay the rent there's some yeah, there's a oh, payment that yeah. needs to take place and he's going to drop it off and he's supposed to go straight there but then he stops and drinks right. instead yeah. and I thought more was going to come up with them like I thought we were going to see more dynamic with this you know, um, somebody who was like in like working in service now becoming a business owner. And like, they were very much in love when they worked in service together and now the business. And I was like, Oh, and the daughter, I was like, this'll be all complex. And I was like, Oh no, he just got mowed. I just out over. Yeah. I think it's the stress of the change. I mean, there's there, I, I feel like I'm a, always talking about the social commentary for these but, movies. But that's what this, I mean, and yeah. when you're looking at it through a 2018 lens, you know. I do think there's it. a social commentary to, to the idea of, you know, it's almost like Downton Abbey, like the downstairs yes. upstairs. And yeah. there's this commentary on like, is it worth you trying to get to a better station in life? Because this might, it might ruin your life. It might not be all the things you think it's going to be, you know, and because they were happy and they were content and well, at least she was. And and loving and you know they have this really sweet relationship when he goes off to war even when he comes back and he's so excited to see his daughter and you know blah yeah. blah blah and then he they go to you know make something of their themselves essentially and he can't hack it and they're unhappy and she's embarrassed of him and they they their personal relationship has really changed you but know? then interestingly enough once that character of Alfred Bridges passes. Like, them being business owners was what was creating their status. But once he goes, it's the grooming of their daughter yeah. becomes the what's elevating or, or representing them as a family how where they're at, sort of, I think. Yeah. Like, but also she becomes, Ellen becomes the manager of the bar and she really builds it into a successful yeah. endeavor. And so there's wealth and status brought in through that. And as a result, she's grooming the daughter to be of a higher class than she you know, yeah. was or whatever. So they start the social climb essentially because once Ellen takes over, I think she gets she's able to accomplish everything Alfred couldn't, and she gets the taste of oh, this is why we did this. Mm-hmm. So now I get it. You know, mm-hmm. Jane Marriott, who was the wealthy woman, yeah, the, the mom. <laughs> she was completely not Elizabeth Perkins. That's what I kept thinking the whole time. Oh yeah, was, we had to pause the movie and yeah. look her up. Elizabeth Perkins <laughs> from Big. Yeah, she looks just, just like, like her. So yes. I kept calling her not Elizabeth Perkins. But this was um, that woman's Diana, Diana Weiner. This was her yeah. only nominated Oscar performance, but I thought she did a good job once yeah. the movie like got going. But um, the big standout for me is actually um, Irene Brown, who was played by Margaret Harris, who played the friend. Mm-hmm. Of the wealthy family, I thought she did a great job. Mm-hmm. Who's Edith's mother? Um, who ends up marrying one of the bo- the one that dies on the Titanic? And then right. I don't know if this is a director choice or actor choice. A lot of aggressive 
face toucher <laughs> and holding the faces while they kissed. They were reenacting it afterwards, but they just <laughs> hold each I'd other's faces as they kiss, and I'm like, just stop. I love it. Let go. I love that people's aggressive <laughs> gesticulations and closeness on screen somehow penetrate your own <laughs> physical, personal bubble. It's true. Through it's the screen. Just... I mean, maybe that's effective directing that you're yeah, feeling, that you're so actually feeling the touch. And yes, once again, lots of mouth kissing of parents. I um, don't. I, I, you know, I, it's, I've. It just in general, I found the performances just kind of vanilla, lackluster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just. They were fair. Like I don't really have anything. None of them really stood out. Or, yeah, negative to say, but it. it it and it was hard sort of with happening. The kids it was sort too, of just white noise. Yeah. Over time, because there's so many time jumps, they had to bring in new actors who would look older. So, like yeah. the kids too, there wasn't like a child performance that stood out because ten minutes later it was something different. Um, moving into our second section, so it time jumps and we see the lower class Ellen Bridges has taken over the bar and it's now become very successful. So she's moving up. Meanwhile, her daughter Fanny uh, is becoming a dancer. On the Marriott side, I keep saying Marriott like it's the hotels, but their two sons, Edward, has fallen in love with his childhood friend, Edith. They end up going on a honeymoon, having a very depressing conversation <laughs> about how she didn't sow enough wild oats or something. Um, but as they end their conversation and she walks away, you find out that they're on the Titanic. So then the boat sinks, they drown. Go. <laughs> well, and you know, it's interesting because this movie, when did this movie, what year was this again? It's uh, 1933. So yeah. we're about 20 years, give or take, roughly, right? From when the Titanic sunk. The Titanic sunk in 1912, 19- 19- right? Yeah, 1912. Yeah. So a couple of years. So it, it's still pretty memorable. So I bet for people, like when I saw this, you know, when, when they step away and you see the... Um, yeah, life preserver. The life preserver that says, you know, the Titanic. The Titanic. I was like, oh come on, like, it was like <laughs> yeah. okay, you're yeah. gonna do that too. But I bet when people watched this back then, they were like, oh, because people were probably yeah. still affected. You know, people were probably had relatives who died on it. Yes. Who were watching this movie, you and know? they're they're Londoners, yeah. and they're you know the cast. So. I, I when I was kind of eye rolling, I was even eye rolling myself. I was like, all right, this had like a significant impact on the people <laughs> that was coming out, like. Yeah. So it, it was. It felt cheesy watching it now, but I bet that was interesting. It was probably like a big twist in yeah. the time. Yeah, but yeah. What stood out the most though was their conversation before it even showed that, because she was talking about how she wished that they had slept around more before they got married, because she wanted to learn some tricks to keep her husband from being bored. <laughs> and when That's the husband right. says like that will never happen, she's like, yeah, well. Yeah, like, oh my it, god. It won't happen. They, they probably only had sex maybe once, maybe sure. twice. And then they sang. I bet it was really exciting for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I was hoping there would be a Titanic crossover. Like it would be amazing if there's a shared universe of all these Titanic movies. No, if James Cameron somewhere in the Titanic named two characters Edith and Edward and just never told anybody yeah. that it but was that a was reference point, to this movie. Yeah. I doubt he did, but eventually awesome. we'll get to that movie and it's like now I'm going to watch it and look for two characters named Edith and Edward, like, in the background. <laughs> well, he redid it to add the correct constellations, whatever, yeah. however long. Maybe he can add that. It's well, true. And he can re-release oh, it. Oh, did he really? He went yeah. back and... He went back and changed the night sky constellations so they'd be accurate so they'd to be what they would have been that oh, night. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. I, um, paid a, I paid a ticket and saw that in the theater. <laughs> and when that scene happened, I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, now it's right. Yeah. Now I love this movie. Now it's great. 
Um, in section number three, we time jump again. Uh, World War One is breaking out, and the Marriott family, uh, the remaining son, Joe, and the father, Robert, enlist to serve. They briefly run into each other, which ends up being very sad because you find out that that exchange turns out to be their last because Joe um, will later on end up dying. But before that, Joe goes to a nightclub and runs into Fanny, who is now a full-time dancer and singer. Um, they have a love affair. As there's an air raid on London, they instead of hiding like everyone else, they run to the rooftop to watch all these people dying and being bombed, and they talk about how romantic it is, and they get engaged. Um, we pick up with the mother of Joe and the mother of Fanny discussing the engagement when mother, uh, when Joe's mother receives a letter from the War Department saying he was killed in action. I get very depressed. Yeah, that, that, I didn't. I didn't love the character of Fanny, but I realized that she was representing this new modern time, yeah. Yeah. and that Joe was still part of this old moneyed family, and he was enticed and it was exciting. But then there was also this, you know. Familial, friendly connection yeah. between the two of them, but I, I found Joe to be horribly miscast again. I yeah, really had a I casting like problem him. with this movie, and Fanny was just because she was so different than everybody else. But the interesting thing about that aspect of the story was when the two mothers were sort of discussing that they were going to get married. Those scenes with those actresses I really liked, and there were some subtleties, and some interest there in the sense that no matter what Mrs. Bridges had built up, she sensed that her daughter still wasn't going to be good, good enough. Mm-hmm. And I, that's that's interesting. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And because she, the Marriott, because we like the Jane character. We yeah. like, but that you're like, yeah, she probably has some prejudices as, as all people do, even when they don't want to admit it. Yeah. And I thought those were some of the best, like interesting scenes to me yeah. um, and storytelling because you're watching all these changes happen, but there's still all these old school values that sometimes you just can't undo in yourself. You know, even through the history of time. Well, yeah, and and they really establish throughout the movie that Jane is a great supporter of Fanny. Mm -hmm. She's constantly helping pay for her lessons. She's she's asking about her and inquiring about her of the bridges. So they build that she is invested in Fanny, but there is the sense that she's not invested enough to want her to be her daughter. And I think I I felt that too. Like I didn't feel like it was just Mrs. Bridges being sensitive to the fact. I think. That that is really what was going on, right? That it, she mm-hmm. hadn't contemplated that as a. It wasn't that she was grooming Fanny to become her daughter. daughter. She was just wanting to help these people who were important to her. Yes. Um, but I think it's interesting too because I think you know Joe professes his love for Fanny and, and asks her to marry him and all this. And Fanny even is has reservation because I mean part of why Ellen goes to talk to Jane is that Fanny has expressed to her mother that she has reserved reservations over their difference in social status that you know I'm just the flavor of the week who's like you're just saying this because it's wartime and whatever and I when when this is all done you're not going to really feel these things for me and you're not really going to believe that I should that I'm worthy of being your wife you did know? you think she felt that or she was just being cheeky and flirtatious no to I get think she kudos. genuinely believed that there was never going to be a, that that was going to be a thing even if Joe was willing to accept it that the family would wouldn't you know and I think part of why Ellen goes to talk to her because also Ellen's progression of clothing as the movie goes on by the time she goes to talk to Jane she's got a fur yeah she's in very you know high fashion dress and, and the hat and the whole and she's calling upon her you know it's it's very much this evolution of who she's how, the status she's climbed herself mm-hmm. um and, but, it, you know, it's all for naught because, of course, Jane conveniently in the middle of the meeting gets the telegram that her son has died. Yeah. So, 
Uh, even though I think there was an earlier piece because he com- he comes back on leave in London to see Fanny, but doesn't see his own family. Where I think that he is the only person to have survived from his unit or something. Yeah. Were you kind of like, oh come on, when that letter came? Uh, yeah, I and know. then but then he goes back to war and then he dies. I, I you know. Which is horrible and tragic. I mean, this poor family. They just keep losing all their children. I wish I cared more. <laughs> but, yeah. My favorite scene in the movie is in this section. And it's when, basically at this point, it's after the mother finds out she's now lost both of her sons. Her, fa- or her husband is still serving and she's alone. But the end of the war comes and everyone's on the streets and they're celebrating. Mm, yeah. And she goes out and is waving a flag and she almost catches herself. And realizes, what am I celebrating? Yes, yeah. And it was she good. has this breakdown. And it's just that scene alone I thought yeah. was great. And it showed she was great in that. Because I had other issues with her at different times. But that scene, I thought she was great. Because she's out there celebrating. Because she's what you're supposed to do. Because the war is over. Great. But she's now lost both of her sons. Her husband will come home, hopefully, eventually. But she's so alone. But to his children also being dead. <laughs> yeah. Young, obviously. So, and then the final section... Shows the husband and wife, Marriott, are once again celebrating New Year's Eve together. And after everything that they've been through, having lost both of their sons. Because the movie kind of opens with a New Year's Eve celebration. And it ends with it. But um, moving into writing, we've kind of talked about the story a little bit. Um, what did you guys think of the writing and the story like as a whole? As we're sitting here talking about it, it's like, there's when we talk about it, it's like... Uh, oh, yeah, that was really interesting, or, like, what they were doing. So it makes me think that the, the writing was better than the acting. and the You know what I mean? There was good aspects. I like what they were... I like how they were writing about war. I mean, because I think the movie was really about nobody really wins in war. Yeah. And there's a quote in the very beginning when Mr. Bridges is going off that I loved, where he said, we have to go to war every now and then to prove we are top dog. So I think what was being written into this was just the topic of war and is it necessary? I mean, they didn't even know where they where their husbands were. In fact, like on a map, nobody could point it out. Yeah. So when you think about that without having to watch this sort of, I found a boring movie, like I think there was the bones of a good movie in the writing and then the script. And I just don't think it translated. Well, and it's based yeah. on a play, right? So yeah. I'm sure the stage, obviously there was enough interest in the stage production mm-hmm. to want to make it into a movie so it probably is a well-written play that they just tried to turn into a movie because it does feel a lot like a play you're in the house most of the time Mm -hmm. you don't there's not a lot of set pieces in the movie and even when they have like the big procession of queen victoria's funeral you're on the family in the balcony Mm -hmm. you're not watching the giant processional of queen victoria's you know so they didn't bring a lot of scope or like scale to the movie in terms of the the Sorry, I may be jumping into technicians, but like into the size of it. And I think you can feel that because they, it feels like they took the play and just wanted to tell the story of the play, mm-hmm. which has some bones to it. I mean, the, the, the juxtaposition of two, of class and family, especially at this time in history, is interesting. And it's a big war, World War One in particular is a big turning point for that, you know, especially in the UK and in Europe as a whole. Like, so there's definitely something something there I, th- I, see, I can understand why people connected with this I just think in like generally speaking it, it got boring over yeah. time 
Yeah, the way that the war scenes were written, I ended up looking up the writer because it felt like it was written by somebody who was wealthy who didn't actually serve. Mm -hmm. Because at one point, um, the one son loses his entire unit except for him, and he just shrugs it off like, guess I'm just lucky. That wouldn't have affected you in some way, that literally every person you were serving and fighting with was dead yeah except for you all of your friends yeah it's like how does that not have a big and survivor's guilt and all those things yeah and when there's a raid on london and they run to the roof to watch these explosions happen and they're just like isn't it grand well it's like they just they don't get it yeah yeah it was just so weird so i looked at the writer um he was born in southwest london his name's noel coward which is a bad last name for a guy. <laughs> um, but he attended a dance academy in London as a child, um, and it, he made his professional stage debut at the age of 11. As a teenager, he was introduced into high society, um, in which most of his plays will end up being set. But at the beginning of the Second World War, he volunteered for war work, and he ran the British propaganda office in Paris. So he had like an outside view, it feels like, of war, but without actually being there. Um but the most interesting aspect I found was the scene at the docks where they were also posting the casualties list. It's only like two seconds long, but I thought it was really shocking that that's how you found out if your yeah. loved one died. There was just like this list of names that oh, you had yeah. to go and check and all these people looking and hoping they don't see their names. Yeah. Like I feel like if that was happening today, I'd be looking at those lists over and over again just to make sure I didn't Got miss it. That there was an actual name on there's there, great, so I thought that was a, interesting. There's a good scene in that movie. We will be discussing in the future coming up. Oh, yeah. Something. But then right after, I, w- I thought this was interesting. The kids are playing with toy cannons after the wife checks. Like, we see oh, her check yeah. the casualty list. Yeah. They, they come back, and the little kids are playing war with these cannons yeah. Yeah, on the carpet. Because then as the son grows up, he's excited to go to war. Mm-hmm. One of the sons. Yeah. Well, even in the beginning when the father's going off to the boar war, it doesn't he say, like, can can I come? And I want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They salute him off and all that. You know. Yeah. It's just the view of war. Yeah. But the story is kind of all over the place, um, and the time jumps kind of threw me off, because I felt like as soon as you're starting to get to know these people, there would be these jumps to a new time period, and you'd have to play catch-up for the first, like, five to ten minutes. Like, okay, where are we now? Where are the characters? What's their story? Okay, I got it. Time jump to a new time. And it's Mm -hmm. okay, now where are we? Where is everyone at? And I feel like every time by the time we caught up to that, it moved on, which I don't know if that was editing or the writing or directing, but either way, I just, I didn't like that it kept doing that. Um, it was kind of too ambitious of a film overall that like, what could you do with the, re- you know what I mean? I like, but the acting, uh, in moving into the directing side, the cast was huge. I kept noticing the number of extras with the war scenes, the playhouse scenes. There was audience and people on stages at the beach where we end up seeing Fanny dance as a child. It's like there were so many talking roles, so many people. So the way that they, the director was able to balance the amount of extras and talking parts and the story aspects was good. But again, I just kept feeling lost because of these time jumps. Um, but I know that there's... There's a montage at one point about the world is falling apart with political scandals and sex scandals and there's a new war on the horizon and stuff like that. But at the ending, I thought it could have been really poetic the way the two parents are talking to each other about losing their sons, everything that they've been through, and that just felt like a great way to end it quietly, just them reflecting on their life. But then instead of cutting to black, it cuts to another montage of all the horrors that are coming and that's where it ends. And I'm like, you didn't need that. You just totally ruined the ending for me with that. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like this whole... I, this <laughs> is 
so boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just keep saying it. I'm sorry. Yeah. It was. No, I, at the end of it, we both were like, well, yeah, that was a movie. Yeah. And it's <laughs> so funny. So when you're like, it's like one of those movies and you're like, okay, well, we will talk about it because it won Best Picture. Okay. But you're, when you're discussing a boring movie, it's like, yeah, so this is why it was flat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so... But here's the, I mean, the the crazy thing is, and I guess this moves us into production and producers, it was the second most popular movie in the U.S. in 1933. It made over a million dollars in the U.K., and then it ended up making an estimated profit of two and a half million pounds. So it was very well received in the U.K. That's so interesting. Like, it's just, which maybe there was just a connective thing that a British person felt more than a u.s person i don't know you know but it just it's fascinating because it's just so boring i mean we still love sweeping epic movies today you know and this is just one of them that just seems to you know kind of i think a big difference that is a recurring attribute of all these movies we've been watching at this era is this concept of like the story needing to take place over decades that I don't think you see as often now. Mm -hmm. It's not, I mean, certainly there are movies that do that today, but I don't think it's as common that it's this like 30, 40 years. I mean, when we talked about Cimarron, that one's over 40 years. Now we're talking about Cavalcade. It's over 30 years or whatever like this. So there's also this like dragged out thing about that that just feels very long and when it's not incredibly well done it's like oh jeez well it's hard to become attached it's yeah. hard when you're having to you know tell these big huge stories that span times like that you're describing I mean how much can you really get in what's happening in the intricacies of the characters right. yeah. which you know I think maybe that's just changed over what um, you know viewers want out of movies just you know as film evolves and you know the popularity of what the stories are holding and so maybe back then they just you know they were really interested in just getting the whole history they had lived it you know Mm -hmm. a lot of these people could watch a movie and whatever i mean the core of the story is about two families and that's you know that's always a a setting that's going to be intriguing and have intrinsic value and connective connectability but it just feels like the you lose some of the thread of that as the movie goes on because it's just constantly putting you in these new situations and you're like it, that connective tissue of the storytelling kind of ebbs and flows in ways that are that you lose. But I mean, and then there were moments that would pop in that I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, like I was just enough to keep you going. Yeah, as far as like I guess in like set design and props, like in the beginning, you you see like the street view and. Pass something passes by with a big Lipton tea advertisement on it, and I was like, "Oh, because we're in London, how cute!" And this proper rich family, and at the end, you see all this bad stuff. They've lost their kids, and the, the, that same image goes through, except this advertisement is doers and whiskey. Which <laughs> 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 I was like, "Oh, okay, I like that." No, Times I'm like, I, I appreciate your sorrows, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is so funny because I remember seeing those too, and just being like, "Oh, product placement." <laughs> I didn't even think about how that's a very astute point. How it's like this evolution of the. It's this very quick imagery that gives you the evolution of people's mindset, which is smart in history. Yeah. Yeah. So there are, like, there's aspects of that. And, like, you know, usually those things are sort of in the background, but they're still affecting, like, your emotional watch. So they were, you know, it was thought through. Yeah. Yeah. Out of the technicians, I would say the editing was my least favorite because I felt it was very choppy. And they did that footage overlay during the war, which felt like out of nowhere with the movie. With, like, Um, like every time they showed the cavalcade? For, well, to, to, like, to tell you we're about to do a time jump? No, yeah, it was like when they would just have different scenes 
on top of each other and they would fade. They did it a lot during the oh, war. Oh, okay. No, I was talking about when like, they show the cavalcade when you switch times. Yeah. It's just, it was just all very choppy. Um, but I liked the set design. I thought they did a great job with that, um, with the different sets and stuff that they built. But the costumes were great. I loved it when the kids were really little. They were dressed like little sailors. <laughs> but it's like, even in the beginning, if you just looked at, the, you showed me the costumes, I'd be able to tell which is the wealthy character, which is the poorer character. So I thought they did good with that. Cinematography was great. I loved the shot when the Marriotts are, are, uh, are initially saying goodbye as the husband goes to war. They're kind of framed in this doorway that I, and you see all these other soldiers, people celebrating behind them as they have this quiet moment together. So I like the way it was shot. The hair and makeup I thought was well done as our main mm-hmm. characters like get older. So that was well done. Um, and especially with the costumes, I love toward the end that people were just sitting around playing chess with pearls on and the tux and bow tie. And I'm like, people just don't do that anymore. <laughs> so next time I watch a movie, I'm going to put on a tux and just sit on the couch. Um, <laughs> and then be incredibly uncomfortable the whole time. <laughs> just start sweating. And Sky will be in sweatpants. Yeah. <laughs> The audio, though, was solid, especially during the bigger crowd scenes. Um, again, just I've been trying to pay attention to audio throughout this change mm-hmm. as we go from silent films into the talking area and stuff like that. And I thought it was very well done here where you could hear everybody. There wasn't too much background noise and stuff like that. There was great use of miniatures during the London bombing scenes that I thought was just really well done. The way that they had like mm-hmm. the uh, Zeppelin and stuff going mm-hmm. overhead. So all the, that side of the technician side was great, but it's just the editing and pulling the story together didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was the first film by Fox to win a Best Picture. Mm-hmm. The Best Picture statuette sold for $332,000 when it was auctioned by uh, Nate D. Saunders Memorial or Memorabilia on February 28th, 19, or 2012. Wow. So 2012 when this producer died they essentially auctioned off the best picture statuette which i believe now there's a rule that when you die it's supposed to go back to the academy i think it's to the academy. 1950 if they won an oscar you're supposed to go back to the academy but pre yeah. that you can still sell them because in our next episode we'll talk about how steven spielberg returned an oscar mm. that an actor won um and then uh the actress diana waynard winyard winyard was honored with footprints uh, at the Grauman's Chinese Theater in Los Angeles in connection with this film. Oh, nice. Are they still there? Did I, they ever remove those? I don't think, I don't think they think remove so. them, unless there was like an earthquake so or something. But, yeah. Sure. Final two questions. Does the film hold up today? Would you recommend that people see it? No and no. Sadly, no. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but no, I would not recommend this film. Um, yeah. I'd say some parts hold up, others do not, but the sloppy editing pushes it down for me. Like and the, just, yeah, yeah, the concept of war affecting families, yeah. the idea holds up just this particular film. There are better films that do the same exactly, concept. Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah, there's some good moments, but not enough, I think, to recommend the film as a whole. Because, yeah, there's others that do it better. So Agreed. Sorry, Cavalcade. I have to say no. Mm. Wah, wah. And that'll wrap up our discussion on Cavalcade. Thank you and good night. That will wrap up this episode of The Envelope Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please let us know your thoughts on the film we discussed here today. We are a Cinema Squad production presented on the Cinema Squad Podcast channel. You can reach anyone here at thecinemasquad.com. Just go there to email us, check our bios, and keep up with the latest episode. And please, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. That's extremely helpful.